0: Hello, and welcome back to the Cafe Hustle podcast. Today, I'm talking to AJ Sharp of Sharp Relations, which is a PR firm that specializes working with food businesses and hospitality businesses to help improve their exposure in the public eye. So today, we're talking about why it's important that hospitality businesses consider PR as a strategy, and whether PR is the same as social media presence and how it differs between the two how you can work to really craft your message in your PR content by working with a very specialist PR firm, and also how influencers are impacting our industry and what are the things to look out for in terms of the pitfalls and how you can use them to your advantage for your business. So we're going to be covering all this and so much more when we get back from thanking our sponsors. Is training new staff members costing you huge amounts of money and only achieving inconsistent results at best? Trainual, with its easy-to-use platform, can significantly reduce your training costs whilst increasing consistency across your entire business through recording and documenting your repeatable tasks all in one place. Visit trainual.com and use promo code CAFEHUSTLE for a seven-day free trial and 10% off your first 12 months. AJ, thank you very much for joining me on the CAFE HUSTLE. How are you?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, whereabouts are you based?
1: We're based in Kent. Um, Yeah, near, near Ashford
0: International, if you know it. So today we're going to be talking about PR, basically, and how hospitality businesses, or any business really, can benefit from a solid PR plan and a strategy. But we're going to start off with, what is your mission? What's your purpose?
1: My mission? Well, my mission is sharp relations which is my creative communications business which specializes in food and drinks brands our mission is to find and build the best tasting most sustainable food and drinks brands my mission as a person though is much more motivated by people i want to help people so i end up i get told off all the time by my team for giving away hours of free consultation on the phone because some really lovely persons phone me up and they need help and i'm like i can help them though i know exactly what they need to do so i I do
0: <laughs> yeah I think that makes you perfectly aligned with hospitality business because essentially that's what as an industry that's what it's all about is it's all about the people it's all about the interaction so how long have you had or operated as Sharp Relations
1: oh we've been going in November it'll be 12 years so a long time but I mean realistically I always wanted my own restaurant actually that was what I always wanted back in when I was kind of dreaming about my career and what I was going to do when I'm a grown up. And I still don't know what I'm going to do when I'm grown up. When I get there, I'll, I'll let you know. But um, for me, it was always about really, really great food. And that was always my passion. And then and then it was people. And how am I going to help people? And it could have been PR. It could have been marketing. It could have been food writing. I mean, it's ended up being a, a lot of those different elements. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always it's always been about the really great food and and that enjoyment, because that's what it all comes down to, isn't it? That real sense of loving where you are and why you're there.
0: So what was your journey then before Sharp? What, what? How did your career pan out?
1: Well, I was encouraged to go to university, which was fun. And I've definitely met a lot of lovely people. I'm not convinced my degree necessarily uh, was particularly useful in my life. But, you know, I have an English literature degree from Newcastle. So, you know, what's not to love about that? Um. And I moved to London at that point, I decided I was not really qualified to set up my own um, restaurant. I I think I felt very nervous about setting up my own business at that point in time. I think sometimes there's an element of the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, and the more you start to feel fear of jumping over the edge. And anyway, I fell into um, doing PR for food and drinks brands. I did a lot of booze PR for lots of very fun brands when I first moved um, moved to London um and i moved my way up through um the kind of pr agency world quite quickly i was a, an account director at just 26 and i i realized that this this urge to run my own business and to be my own boss and to help people in the way that i wanted to help them not the way i kind of uh, another person's business had been structured never went away and so i actually started Sharp relations um in 2010 when i was nearly 28, 20, 27, 28. And um, yeah, I've never regretted it. It's been, it's we've had the best fun and we have helped hundreds and hundreds of small businesses, hospitality businesses, as well as manufacturing businesses, everyone food and drink from just everything you can think of, growers, manufacturers, retailers, everybody for the last yeah, nearly 12 years.
0: So tell me a bit about how the business developed then from when you first started it to where you are now.
1: Well, when I first started it, really, I was a freelancer. I was just me, wasn't it so um i was I was doing all sorts i was I was everything and it was it was it was a really funny jump, having been in agency world where I was an account director and I had a team of fifteen below me to suddenly doing it on my own and having this real realization moment of gosh, those account execs they're working really hard, you know <laughs> they've got a lot on their plate um and going back to doing a lot of the actual application again, which um I loved. I just remember going back and kind of relearning it again with new eyes, and absolutely loving it. Um, and being able to just walk into all these different businesses, especially in Kent, my home county, and meeting all these different people, and going, "Oh, we can really help you guys. There's so much you're not doing, and to me, it's so obvious, and I can just put it all in place for you." And um, now we're uh, a lot bigger. I mean, in that time, I've, I've had kids and you know the world has changed for me quite considerably i think kids is brilliant i always employ people who've had kids often i do because they just they have such a focused brain they get things done so quickly and i just think they have a completely different way of looking at problems which is very exciting um and now we've got a team of nine of us so we're 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 still small we're still very family friendly everyone knows everyone very well and we look after each other and and our clients mean a lot to us. They're, they're really important. So, And I think the kind of clients who pick us, pick us for that reason. They like that we really look after them.
0: Yeah, it makes a difference. And especially, like we've touched on a couple of times already, hospitality business, is all about that connection between, whether it's with the customer or even with people who are, in this case, doing your PR. So we're going to be talking really about how hospitality businesses can benefit from paying a bit more attention to their PR because I think a lot of people are maybe don't always consider this. Yes, they've got their social media side, which we're going to touch on a little bit later on. But how, how important is it that hospitality businesses consider PR as a, as a marketing tool?
1: Well, I think very important because PR fundamentally is your reputation. It's your brand awareness. It's, it's what people are saying about you. I mean, it's in its pure sense, it's your word of mouth. And I don't know a restaurant, really, that's going to be successful that doesn't have a good grip on its, and its word of mouth. And, and people often say to me, well, how can you drive word of mouth? Well, you can. You really can. You know, people are often saying, oh, yes, I've read about that place. It's meant to be really good. Or, oh, did you see the pictures on Instagram? I'm dying to go and check it out. I think those kind of things, that is you driving your word of mouth. Now there is a quite a big gap between um social media and PR and I think they sit together personally and I know I know you want to go onto that into a little bit more detail later but but PR really as opposed to advertising or Facebook ads or Google ads or anything like that this is somebody else saying that your business is good and you can't force them to say that you can't pay them to say that they have to believe that. And and by inviting critics, by inviting local lifestyle journalists and food and drink editors into your business to come and try it, to sample it, you get that authority from that PR that you wouldn't ordinarily get from something like advertising.
0: So we'll jump into the social media side then. So what is... How and you, t- you say that they work they're very closely related, which we can understand because it's another route to your audience in a way. But how does PR, from your perspective and your definition, differ from what restaurants are doing or cafes are doing on a day-to-day basis with their posts and Instagram stories, etc.? How do they differ? What's the difference in their outcome?
1: Well. I think social media sits under PR. If PR is all about your reputation, social media is a very key, very important part of that. And absolutely all businesses need to be doing that. And if you're doing anything at all, then brilliant, because it's better than nothing for sure. And there are so many different ways. I mean, no doubt you have come across influencer marketing. Um, And again, influencer marketing, it has that authority because somebody else is saying that about your business. Somebody else is, is bigging it up and saying that they've enjoyed this, this, and this. And that, that gives it that credibility that you can't generate just by your own posts. However, you can use images to tell the story. And I'm always saying to people on your social media, have a strategy, know why you're there. What is it that you're doing on your social media? And I sometimes hear um, brands and I sometimes hear people saying to me, well, You know, I don't think I've had a single sale off social media. I can't see the point of it, frankly. I completely see what you're saying, but that isn't actually the purpose of social media. I mean, not all of it anyway. The purpose often is brand awareness um, or brand discovery. And so you may well be generating a lot of sales, but it's not going to happen at that exact point in time. It's probably going to happen two weeks later or two months later. And so it's being very intentional about that strategy. Now, I know there are some brands out there who sell via affiliate links through their social media with a a brilliant thing. They have a booking system. They maybe sell products. If they're a restaurant that has products that you can take home, maybe they sell those through them. And that is a very effective strategy for for generating more revenue. But generally, you're looking for that brand awareness. You're looking for that, um, that moment where somebody has discovered your brand and they never knew about it before that moment.
0: So, at what size then would a business be looking at? maybe I know you say social media sort of sits under p r and I can understand that but at what point should a business be really focusing on their p r from from a business point of view are they is it something that at a startup stage they should be looking at straight away so if it's a small sort of own owner operated business should they that sort of business be looking at a PR agency like yourselves,
1: I would. Um, even even if if your budget's short, uh, you, sorry, not short, but if you're concerned about cash flow, as many people are when you've just set up a business, I mean, you know, th- we all know it's a it's a huge investment. But driving people through the door from you know two weeks after launch, obviously you want your soft launch time, don't you, to just check the tills work and all the staff are trained. Um, and we normally suggest at least two, three, four weeks before we then have a hard launch, where you invite press. Now, the press may or may not come to a launch event, but by virtue of you inviting them, you've then put yourself on their radar. They then know that you exist. They then know that they want to check you out. You will have been added to the kind of editorial roster. Somebody get down to such and such restaurant, such and such cafe to make sure it's reviewed for the next edition. Um, I think it's incredibly important that you do make sure that that outreach is happening and 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 with that includes the influencers as well because they have a huge sway over the the kind of micro tribes that they're looking after so it's it, it is very key
0: so you've touched on there what you advise your your clients how what would the journey be then for someone if they came and approached you what how would you onboard them as a client, say, what would the process be in terms of developing a strategy and what would go into the PR content as it would be?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So it depends. If the if the business has been going for a long time, sometimes it's right to recommend um, like a communications audit. So we look back over the past year, every email, the newsletters, the website, uh, events that have been run. Uh, feedback from customers, both positive and negative, any PR, any social, and we analyze and we extrapolate from all of that data what's actually been happening, what's actually been driving people to your Find Us page on your website, what's been driving people to actually book, what was effective, what wasn't. When we have that information, we can then pull out our recommendations um, and then build a strategy for that business going forwards. If um, a communication is or communications audit is not appropriate, i.e. Um, you're a new business, um, or you've already got something similar, for example, then we would put together a, a strategy for that business. So we would start with the communications objectives of that business, whether that is to double your income, or maybe you're quiet on a Tuesday morning and you want to work out a way to kind of drive traffic at that point of time. Um, and we would put together from the communications objectives an entire strategy which would cover all the different elements of marketing of what you should be doing really to make sure that you're hitting that, that revenue target. There should always be a revenue objective in there as well as um, you know just kind of filling out the, the restaurant on the days that maybe aren't as busy as you would like them
0: to be. So in terms of then what sort of input do you have from branding side of what a business is is aiming for how what sort of questions would you be looking to ask to establish what each individual hospitality business's brand is
1: we do a little bit of branding we certainly advise on branding and we work with a design agency often to just come in and interrogate a brand you know when some sometimes people come to us and they're like, "We've set up this brilliant cafe. This is what we're going to do, and it's going to be awesome for Gen Zs." And then you kind of start talking about it, and you're like, "It is a brilliant concept. I'm not sure if it's Gen Zs, or it, it may be it may be all sorts of different um, elements." But we just help them to kind of just test their insights and test the kind of market uh, appetite, I suppose, for for what they're offering. Just often it's tiny tweaks. Um, so we do a little bit of brand auditing in, in that respect. Um, and certainly if a brand is not, it's not working, we do a lot in that respect. I mean, one of the products we are launching in the next um, couple of weeks is is something called the Taste Testers, which is I'm working with a team of um, food judges and critics to put together a package, which means that you can actually have everything tested in the safety of knowing that it's not already, you're not going straight to a buyer, straight to a critic, straight to a food awards judge. You're, you are going to one, but in the safety of knowing that you can get the feedback, you can actually tweak your offering, you can tweak everything you're doing before you then put it in front of people where it's really going to matter. And that that is, I guess, it, it does help with the kind of, we do a lot of the kind of brand uh, analysis at that point in time.
0: So, in, just touching on that, is that something that you have the idea for? That has come from dealing with hospitality business. Is the is the have the people told you that that is something that they would use?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think something, and it, particularly with um, brands who have a sort of take home offering, often they will go and they'll the first time it's ever really kind of tasted by a professional palate apart from their own, of course, and and maybe some of their friends and contacts, it will be when they're putting it in front of a buyer because they're trying to get it into Selfridges or they're putting it in front of, um, you know, they're putting it in front of an awards committee or they're having somebody in uh, because they're generating some PRs, they've got journalists coming in. And the first time they get any negative feedback might actually be at that point when it matters. So it was something somebody said to me at uh, the end of last year in a throwaway comment was, oh, wouldn't it be brilliant if? And I was thinking, I mean, I, I'm a judge for several different awards um, already. And I was thinking, we were giving feedback at, at one the other day and a colleague um, and I were sat there chatting going, "This we've got to do this because there's so many people who need this feedback and they want it before it's too late.
0: I think talk like it's that case of finding out before you are, because I think what I'm trying to say here is once it's out there, it is out there, isn't it? That if it's a, a negative review or something like that, it's really advantageous to have that feedback on what you're offering, what you need to tweak. So then when the PR comes, you're not already facing an uphill battle of trying to overcome that because and you'll probably know this, bad PR, although everyone says no such thing as bad PR, but if there's a negative aspect to any PR, it's a lot harder to overcome that with the positive in the future than getting it right in the first place. Oh,
1: certainly. And that's, that's where going through an agency is really helpful. If you do your own PR, you can't control that at all. As an agency, we are able to have those conversations where we say, look, can it, can we just not write about it? Or um, obviously, there's journalistic integrity, and we would never, um, you know, that that has to be allowed to happen in the right ways. But sometimes somebody will come back and say, "Look, I'm really sorry. I really just did not like this at all. Do you mind if I don't write about it?" And you're like, "No, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> Thank you." Um, so absolutely, you can help to control that, and you can help to make sure that that doesn't happen. And that is again why we put this service in as another layer. To make sure that by the time we do go out to journalists, we know it's a it's a jolly good offer. And, and I have to say, we've really very rarely had any kind of negatives come back because we do a lot of this already ourselves. We always, as a, as a team, we taste everything. We don't work for any brands that we don't think are great tasting and sustainably minded because because we know there's too many barriers to cross and because we believe it's the right thing to do for people and planet and, and everything
0: else. And just touching there on, and I think this sort of links in a bit now, but how do you measure the return on investment when it comes to PR? And I think by the sounds of what you do there with that new scheme, it's almost in a way improving the return that people are going to get on their investment when with their PR, because obviously if you get it right and the PR is good in the first place, then your ROI is going to go up. But how do you measure or how do you help the businesses that work for you measure their return on their investment with you?
1: Well, you, there, there are kind of two, um, there are two elements, outputs and then impact and outputs. I mean, some people split it into outputs and outtakes, but outputs really is Genuinely, how many extra followers do you now have on Instagram? How many more posts have been posted? How much more PR has been generated? You can literally count this. It's um, it's quantitative. You can count how many articles have appeared. Are they trade? Are they consumer? Are they positive? Are they negative? Um, the outtakes is a lot more about the qualitative side of it. So on your Instagram posts, for example, did people understand what you were talking about? Can you see that people are changing their opinion? It's much softer, but it's, much, it's still just as important. It's very much messaging-led. And then your impact is how you measure. You take it right the way back to your objectives in the first place. Did you double your revenue? Yes or no? I mean, at the end of the day, all your marketing exists purely to make sure that the sales and revenue works. And if it doesn't, something's gone wrong. And that I mean that's as simple as that, isn't it? And it's I, I say it to everybody so often about um about it. If 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 you know if the impact doesn't relate back to the objective, then you know it's it's not worth doing. Um but it always does, it always does, because if you've made a very strategic campaign and you're very intentional about every single channel you're using or why you're using it, and what you're saying on each channel, then you will get the impact that you're looking for.
0: And is there any way of measuring it directly? I know, so, for example, if one of your clients does a piece or as an expert, say, as for an article, is there any way of linking that directly back to customers coming through the door?
1: Kind of. I mean, one of the best ways to do that, there's several ways to do it. There's something called UTM links, Um urchin tracking, something like that, UTM links, which you can then link straight back to. I mean, often you link it back to sales, but you could link it back to a bookings page for sure. And then you could actually say, look, the presence of this article actually generated five bookings in the restaurant, for example. Um, the other way you do it is that you set up, so every single piece of coverage you have, you set it up as the Find Us page on the website, because you're taking people to the Find Us page, you're taking people to that booking page. Um, and the, the I mean, the, the obvious one, which r- remarkably few people actually do, is actually talking to the customers as they come through the door. And there are many ways to do it and to drive it, but talking to your customers as they walk through the door, talking to the customers as they book, that moment, just getting your staff to just say, can I just ask how you heard about us? Are you a repeat, you know, are they a repeat customer? Did they hear something? Is it word of mouth? And it really, really will inform what you're doing. And I think it's absolutely critical and so many people don't do it. The other thing many, many people don't do, which they should, is getting your front of house staff when they're saying goodbye at the end of the evening. Did you have a lovely evening? Oh, I've had the best evening. Brilliant. Tell your friends. Look forward to seeing you back here with your friends. It's a very simple thing to say to people. Tell your friends, tell people, tell somebody else who might like it, promise me. People will do it. People will do it because there's that moment where you've actually created a connection with somebody. You've asked them to do something and you're a nice person. This is a nice business. Why would you not do it? Most people out there are fundamentally kind. They will.
0: Yeah, and it comes back to almost reciprocation, isn't it? You've just given them a great night, great service, and just that one little that little sentence, just, oh, yeah, tell your friends. And they feel obliged in a way to, to honor that. And like you say, they will. In most cases, but in we'll a
1: nice way, yeah, yeah. You're you're bringing them along with you on your journey. Like we're just building a restaurant here. Please tell your friends. It, you you kind of become part of their team. Then you're part of their ambassadors, aren't you?
0: And it's a connection. again get another way of connecting with your customer, and adds to the experience in a way because it's almost it's more genuine sort of that conversation as someone's leaving. You saying bye which is something we always made sure with our our staff always say hello and goodbye because that's the, the start and the end point. And it does, it just gives them a little bit more motivation to pe- perhaps just tell two or three other people. And before you know it, you, you've got an exponential growth of, of people coming through the door. Now we touched on earlier influencers. How do they fit into hospitality businesses and how can they be used successfully? Hospitality businesses?
1: I think it's a really good question. And I think of all the businesses, hospitality probably have the toughest time managing influencers because I think there's a lot of influencers out there who are making approaches. Now, the approaches are probably in the benefit of the influencer. Usually, because they are looking to associate themselves with certain brands, because it gives them certain credibility. It means they can then maybe charge more for other people they want to go to. So I understand that. And sometimes those influencers are actually bang on who you want to be talking to, and actually it's just serendipity and happenstance that they've come to you. But the majority of time, I would say, you have your strategy and you have your messaging, and you know who your target customer is. So I would be very intentional about who you find and who you work with. And I wouldn't get too caught up with how many followers they have. I I hear it a lot. Oh, well, we're only going to work with anyone over 10,000 followers. Just be a little careful with that because 10,000 followers doesn't necessarily mean 10,000 followers. Um, And there are nano influencers out there who are under 10,000 followers who maybe have three or 4,000 who don't even see themselves as an influencer who probably have a nine to five job. It's something for fun. They're doing at the weekend in their spare time. They have such a genuine following and such a genuine organic sway over their followers that actually don't underestimate their power. Because even say they do a they do a post, if it influences five people who actually then book because they are specific to your area, I mean that's five bookings that's worth doing I I'd, I'd take one one free meal for five paid for meals any day I think that's I think that's great ROI um and I think it's it's making sure you're very very clear on who it is you're reaching out to and not just going to the famous people in the local area but actually thinking no we really you know we have you know one restaurant we worked with ha- was a very beautiful old fashioned fine dining establishment and they Clientele were kind of baby boomers, maybe even silent generation. They were they were aging, in the nicest possible way. That I mean, the boomers were still brilliant. They were still coming in at lunchtime and things. And what the um, the the head chef and, and and the front of house wanted was to see more millennials coming in. Not so much Gen Z because I think the price point was going to be too high. But more millennials and more Gen X. And it was really looking at the ways that we could tweak the marketing offer a slightly different offer you know things like after work cocktails with a a sharing platter which for a a restaurant that was michelin star seemed bizarre and didn't seem at all to fit with what they were doing but they found a way to make it theirs but to make it cool and it worked absolutely brilliantly and we did the whole thing via influencers
0: i think like touching on what you're talking about there about you could have someone who's got ten thousand followers but If their posts are maybe getting the engagement of maybe, what, 10 people, it's another thing that I look for certainly is compared to their overall followers, how much engagement are they getting on their posts? Because you could go to someone with a huge number of followers and pay them to basically talk to a wall in a way. (laughs) it's one way of putting it, but if you're going to someone who in your example has got 2000 followers and those 2000 followers are highly engaged and they're also very niche and specific to your target audience and they match up to exactly the people you're looking for, you've got a much better chance of that being successful than like you say, a, a wider reach. And yes, you might, get that awareness, but it doesn't always necessarily turn into people coming to your business and spending money with you.
1: I completely agree. I mean, we have a a minimum requirement of 2% engagement. Now that sounds tiny, but actually when you, when you work out the engagement, which is, I think it's likes and comments divided by followers times by a hundred if you actually do that you'll find that there are some nano influencers out there who have an engagement of 12 or 15%. Yeah. i mean Which is huge. that's
0: it's huge it's absolutely huge. i think they they, they say the standard online for a, a really good certainly on instagram a good engagement rate is like 3% and so you're talking if you're up at 10 15% that's a really really good choice. and it, as well just going back to touch on what you said is it needs to be on your terms doesn't it as a business You need to make sure that you're, or it's better for you to approach the right people rather than rely on those that are touting for business in a way by approaching you. What are some of the the pitfalls that you've seen some people face with influencers? Is there some big warnings that you put out there in terms of making sure that people are genuine and the checks that you put in place?
1: Yeah, exactly what you're saying. It's checking the engagement rates. It's actually looking through the coverage, looking through the content they're creating. Does it chime with you? Do they have the right kind of tone of voice when they've looked at other, you know, they've gone to other people's brands and businesses? How are they talking about them? Does it feel good? And it is putting in that time. I think some of the warning signals, exactly as you say about being intentional about why you contacted that influencer in the first place was it a specific menu that you want to highlight because I think being very specific about what it is and why you're doing it was it specifically breakfast was it specifically um your new cocktail offering whatever it may be you get to choose that you get to choose what they're coming in to review they might choose to review some other things while they're there but you can say I want this to be the champion how do we always do it we always always have a consultation beforehand we have a chat about what it is we're hoping to achieve what it is they need to achieve we always get it in writing and we're always very specific in terms of um, confirming any handles any hashtags that we would like to be used and and even the dates that it's going out now there's also an element here that we haven't discussed which is budget because there are influencers who as I mentioned before, are not really seeing this as a job. They're seeing this as something that's fun. And, and they're, that's brilliant. And for many of them, gifting a sample is is cool. It's totally cool. For others, this is their job. They're doing this now as as a full-time job. And they are putting an a, an enormous amount of work into the content they're creating, the videos they're shooting, the images they're shooting for some it can take half a day and a day to edit together videos and things like that so those guys do ask to be paid and i i think it's completely fair enough and and that just comes down to a negotiation of if they are absolutely engaged well with the the perfect audience for you then i i would say you're better off paying one or two uh kind of micro influencers um than working with one massive macro influencer. um, Generally, I would, I would think that that's a better strategy.
0: No, I completely agree. You've got to make sure that you are, it has to fit with your business and it has to be the right person from a brand point of view. And like you say, if you have to pay for that in some cases for the right person, then it's something that you have to swallow if that's part of your strategy, isn't it? So, coming back to a more general loop then what are some of the the biggest mistakes you see either new clients you've got or maybe clients that think they know what they're doing what are some of the big stumbling blocks that hospitality businesses are generally doing or generally making sorry
1: i suppose the biggest one is is underestimating the power of pr and social media Um, there's a, there's a restaurant near us here and he is, he's an ex Mission star chef. He is fantastic. And he's got a more relaxed kind of casual dining setup. He's not done any launches at all. And no one knows he's there. And it's so good. And, and even a year or two years in, he's sort of like, I just don't know why no one's coming. And it's like, Cause you, no one knows you're here. And it's that sort of you can't be the best kept secret. You you do have to reach out and find people. And once you reach out and find people, people will come, but you do need to do it. And that does mean, it doesn't mean necessarily you've got to employ a PR company on a retainer for 12 months. I'm not saying that, but many PR companies like ours will do little launch plans, little boosts that just mean that, you know, if you've got cash right here, right now, we can do a boost. And then you know, you can you can keep carrying on with social media and maybe doing it in-house and then do another big boost later on. It's, it is it is critical, though. You cannot be the best-kept secret.
0: Yeah, I think people rely on social media and, and put social media on this pedestal at being this is the be-all and end-all if you're not on social media. And if you're not doing it right, you're not going to survive. But I think to get that initial following, and certainly when you're just starting out, it's a lot more complex than just doing your social media posts and hoping that people share it and hoping people stumble across your business. You have to you have to stretch that net even wider to get that message out. Certainly, even more importantly, when you're first starting out because like that example you just said, you're, you're looking at two years down the line and you're thinking we're still not getting the numbers in the door that we want. Yes, we've got this... Facebook is growing steadily, but you're just not getting that wide-reaching awareness that we need as hospitality businesses because we've got to turn those customers over. We've got to have that volume.
1: Absolutely. And I think, I mean, certainly for the brands, the the restaurants that we've represented in Kent, there's, there's a secret fairy dust that goes on top that I can't quantify. I can't even put it in a proposal because it makes no sense, but it's putting in some phone calls to kind of uh, prominent people around the county. Whenever you're in a situation where you're around people who are genuine old-school opinion formers, old-school influencers, and it's the same in every county. It was the same in London when I launched all the gaucho restaurants back in 2008. You've got to let the right people know and i don't know how to put that on a on a report i don't know quite how to quantify that but if the right people go and the right people are saying the right things everything follows and a lot of that is the magazine editors a lot of that is some of these they are part of the prominent people they're tapped into the whole network and it you you underestimate that at your peril and i think it's it's the it's the kind of families who are going out for dinner all the time they're talking about it all the time they're very social those guys you need to get them in and quickly.
0: I think just on that point you, if you, you're you spreading those like you say those right contacts and it's just that drip effect isn't it a little bit from a wide range of people it all adds into a really effective result on certainly on a particular launch or a push. So in terms of people maybe finding out a bit more about you and what you're business does and what it can do for them how can people reach out and find out more about sharp relations and potentially have a bit of a discovery call and and potentially become a client
1: yeah um lots of ways i've got one more thing though that i just wanted to say about the last thing That intentional thing about putting out good energy, I think there's something else there as well about supporting your local community and doing good things in that local community, whether it's tying up with a local charity, supporting um a homeless charity, things like that, where you are genuinely putting out that good energy. I think that as well is is absolutely fantastic for really kind of ingratiating you into a community, especially if you're a new a new business um yeah. So how can you find out about us? Uh, literally, if you go to the website, uh, sharp you can, there's a link on there. You can book a free 30 minute discovery call with me. Honestly, always happy to have a free, just honestly, no, um, no obligation chat about what you're doing and what you need to do. Absolutely. No problem at all. I'm always, I'm always open and, and, uh, I'll always book it in no problem. Um, or you can email me at hello at sharprelations.com or find us on social media. There's always, my team is always putting up all sorts of interesting reels of videos and all sorts on there. So yeah, get in touch. We're, we're happy to help.
0: Brilliant. Listen, AJ, thank you very much for your time today. And thank you for the insight into what PR in terms of a, a strategized approach to it can really do for businesses. So thank you very much for coming on the Cafe Hustle.
1: No, no problems. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: We've all been there, trying to create our business management diary from scratch is really hard work and takes up a huge amount of your precious time. With the Pillar Management Diary, you get an up-to-date, customizable management diary delivered to your business every 12 weeks. Head over to thecafehustle.com forward slash pillar, that's slash P-I-L-L-A for more information and to create an account with the code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your first year. And don't forget, with your free account, you get access to Pillar's online document library, which is a really valuable resource.